Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to this time together. I hope your day is going well. If you're working from home today and you're probably way out of your routine and, you know, it's kind of what everybody's doing, it's um, not business as usual. That's for sure. And uh, I hope your your home office is working good. Maybe it gives you a little extra opportunity to have the radio on in the background, which is great. Uh, I hope you can do both at the same time. That's wonderful. We're going to start with a great passage from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in faith so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm really enjoying looking up verses on comfort and courage, and I think it's a whole bunch of what we all need right now because it seems that we're hearing a lot of what sounds to be threatening news all the time. And it's as we process it, we know God is sovereign and God is in control. And we also know that uh, we need to remain steadfast in him. And it's a reminder that we all need to be encouraging each other and sending each other uplifting messages, connecting with one another, because as we isolate and quarantine and uh, get alone, we have to be reminded that although we're socially distancing, we're not emotionally distancing. So you might have a little extra time to send a text or make a phone call or or just do a FaceTime uh, with somebody. Just let them know you're thinking about them and you care about them. So we're going to hopefully talk to Dr. Alex McFarland. He was on a call with uh, Vice President Mike Pence and a number of other evangelical leaders and I think he got a nice word of hope from the vice president. We're going to find out what he heard and what uh, the vice president shared on that call. So we'll take a little break, and then we'll bring on Alex. This Easter season, get to know Jesus on a deeper level through the Faith Radio Easter Reading Plan. Together, we'll read a chapter of the book of John each day. Starting March 24th, we'll learn exactly why Jesus came to earth, how he conquered the grave, and offered us the gift of eternal life. Sign up to read along with us at MyFaithRadio.com and receive weekly emails featuring special content from our show hosts and giveaway opportunities. That's MyFaithRadio.com. God is waiting to give you wisdom. You just have to ask. So you say, God, I need wisdom. And I pray and I ask. Then I read the Bible. I read this book. And then I wait. And at the right time, maybe not immediately, at the right time, God will put that idea in my mind. And he'll go, wow, that's an inspiration. That's what I need to do. Fuel for a deep and active faith. Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. My guest, Dr. Alex McFarland, is a great friend of Faith Radio, and we just love him. And we can't wait to find out uh, what he heard on a uh, phone conversation he was included in on with Vice President Mike Pence. He had the 
opportunity to do that last night, and I bet there's a whole lot to learn from that. Alex, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be with you, Bill. It's a significantly different world since then. I talked two weeks ago. Boy, so true. So true. So you have a chance. Yeah. You all are safe and sound and uh, being uh, cautious up there in Minnesota? Yeah, of course. We're just trying to follow instructions and do what the CDC says and keep keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and just be steadfast. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. You know, it's been my privilege to be on um, a number of calls with, uh, you know, the White House has a, a, a board of faith leaders. And there was a call yesterday and and one today, actually, as well. But, you know, Bill, there are a lot of rumors going around. And while this is a very, very, very serious situation, obviously, um, what the White House is saying is, you know, please, to ministers and faith leaders, you know, please um, urge your parishioners to be calm and not panic. The food supply is going to be there, uh, good medical care and um, world-class research. You know, people are on this thing. But one of the rumors that was floating around, and even as recently as like an hour ago, I got a call about this. Several have said that, you know, we're heading into a time of martial law and there's going to be, you know, mandatory lockdowns of cities and homes and, you know, buildings everywhere. And a lot of people are scared about that. Uh, and, you know, we were told, you know, that is not the case. This mandatory police state coast-to-coast is not going to happen. And they said, look, if you have friends who say, you know, I have an inside source at the White House that's told me there's going to be, you know, martial law, you know, don't believe it. There's, you know, what you faith leaders are hearing or or what um, is being told to the, the other, you know, people that the White House is in communication with. So, Serious situation, but Bill, as in all things, uh, we have peace knowing God is in control, don't we? Mm-hmm. And it's being challenged for many. I mean, there's a lot of uh, fear, and there's a lot of yeah. uncertainty, and those are certainly uh, two occasions where we our faith uh, is tested. And and do we stand strong in the promises of God, or or you know do we start to cave into fear? And I think a lot of people have a little bit of struggle with that, Alex. We do. We do. And, you know, um, the Word of God over and over tells us, you know, verses like Psalm thirty-one, twenty-four: be strong and be of good courage, take heart and hope in the Lord, you know, things like that. And I, I know these are not just platitudes. I mean, these are realities because of who the Lord is. John fourteen, twenty-seven: Jesus said, peace I give you and peace I leave with you. Uh, not as the not peace as the world gives, but Jesus said, "Do not let your hearts be troubled or be afraid, because He, as the Creator and the Savior, the One who conquered the grave, we can trust God. We we really can." And I, I will say this, Bill, and I, I, you're so gracious. You say you appreciate my perspective, Bill. I appreciate your perspective. Oh, thank you're you, Alex. Such an insightful brother, but. Let's throw a couple of things out here, and then then I want to really I want to talk about church attendance and churches meeting. But um, teaching on the Book of Revelation, Bill. When I've spoken at a lot of universities, sometimes during Q and A, kids will ask questions about the Book of Revelation, and 
you know, could the whole wide world, the entire planet be brought to its knees over this or that? And could the uh, doomsday scenarios of the book of Revelation really happen? And I've had over the last 25 years of travel, you know, more than a few audience members who would say, well, you know, the human race, everybody's going to do their thing. And, you know, nothing could really bring the whole wide world to a standstill. Uh, Yeah, it can. And we're watching it. You know, I mean, I saw a photograph this morning of uh, Avenue of the Americas in New York City yesterday. And I mean, it's just like deserted. And um, I had to go do a television interview last night and I drove out to an airport and I was driving past half a dozen, you know, major hotels and the parking lots were just empty. And so, Bill, you know, socially, medically, technologically, politically, economically, Anything that we read about in the book of Revelation, I mean, it could happen. One day we know it will happen, but hey, this is a reminder that um, civilized life on this planet is a rather fragile thing, isn't it? Oh, is it ever? And Alex, I'd love, yeah. I'd love for you to mention how there's no doubt there is suffering in the world that we are experiencing and will probably experience more of. And then I think of Jesus leaving the comforts of heaven to come to earth to suffer and die for my sins. Yeah, exactly. You know, often uh, we, in the body of Christ, we talk about mission trips and going to, to foreign countries to serve or to do this or that. Well, for Jesus, his whole ministry here was a mission trip, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. it the, was. the Lord uh, incarnated himself and came and left heaven and came to earth to be our Savior. And, uh, you know, I've got to say this, too, because I've gotten this question on a few interviews. uh, You know, why did God do this? Or why did God let this happen? And we've got to remind people, okay, in Jesus we have forgiveness. We have salvation. We have every reason to be calm. The Lord knows our needs, and God does love us, and God is not going to abandon us. But we've got to remember what this world is and is not. For one thing, this world is not heaven, uh, and this world is fallen, and there's a sin problem. And even disease, uh, natural disasters, tornadoes, earthquakes, and moral evil, violence, terrorism— and just toxins and diseases, they're all part of a fallen world. Uh, and so we've got to remember this world is not heaven. What this world is, is uh, really a workshop for the building of saints. And um, Bill, I know I've probably shared this illustration, but um, we helped raise a niece and a nephew and took my little nephew to the amusement park years ago. And there was a long line. And so to let him... So he didn't have to stand in this long line with me. I gave him some quarters, and he got on this little coin-operated hobby horse. Um, And then the line started moving. And I said, hey, come on, come on, come on. And he pouted and cried. And he said, no, I want to ride the little coin-operated 25-cent hobby horse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I said, come on. He said, no. I said, trust me. On the other side of that wall, in the amusement park, there are things that make you forget about that 25-cent hobby horse. Mm-hmm. But we're like that, aren't we? Totally. And the, the, the bling of this world is nothing 
compared to being in the presence of the Lord uh, in that eternal state of bliss called heaven. And so uh, Paul said, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And that's good to know. And and I think the White House asked us to project and proclaim this, and we're going to just, hey, be calm. You know, put your your care, your well-being, and your future in the hands of the Lord. But, um, you know, we're blessed to have a, a wonderful administration right now, even some of the people that have not necessarily been kind to the president are admitting they are doing a world-class job of responding to this. And for our country and our future, um, thank God for good human leaders, but ultimately for eternity, thank God for our ever-faithful Savior, Jesus. Yeah. Alex, let me take a short break. Alex McFarland is my guest. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Now, Alex, uh, I would love to hear what you are encouraging all of us regarding church, because most of us are doing it online right now. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, uh, on my call with White House, one of the White House staffers, I think it might have been um, Amanda Robbins, I think he's one of the PR people for the White House. But uh, I just thought it was really sweet. Um, one of the people said... Uh, you know, we, we we know we sympathize that you're not able to meet and have church because uh, uh, virtually all of us go to church too. And I thought, yes, yeah, that's great. But um, the question has been raised, Bill. Um, Hebrews ten verse twenty five says, "Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, and so much more as you see the day approaching." And I had a an elder of a church call me just a couple of hours ago and said, well, you know, hey, uh, I don't answer to man, I answer to God, and we're going to have church, and, you know, why should we have to not have church, you know, gatherings of 10 or more? Um, it takes me back to my grad school days with a guy named Norm Geisler. Bill, does that name ring oh, a bell? Oh, yes, uh, it does, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure he spoke there at the university where you are. Um but Dr. Geisler was brilliant, and he went to be with the Lord last July, and he—oh, my goodness, what a scholar. And I, I was studying C.S. Lewis, and I, I think Lewis would concur. When it comes to Christian civil disobedience, if the government were um, compelling you or coercing you to do something evil, like if, if a government entity said, you know, um, curse God or, or you'll be shot— you know, or or to do something clearly unbiblical, um, their civil disobedience is justified. But in in the the call to not have groups larger than ten, we it's an inconvenience we know, but it, it's not a type of um, mandate that dishonors God. This is for what this is what Aristotle would call the the law of general beneficence or what Jesus said when he said, love your neighbor. 
So it's not like the government is asking us to do something that's unbiblical. Uh, so I, I honestly think, and I'm just speaking for Alex, you know, I'm supposed to speak at a church on Sunday. In fact, I'm uh, really helping out a church that doesn't have a pastor, and we're going online. And we're not, several said, look, let's meet anyway. And I said, no, I don't think we should do that. Um, our government, in good faith, uh, to the best of their ability, has laid out a plan that will arrest the situation. And, and I personally think we need to comply. And, and it, it does, to, to stop having services and to have it online uh, doesn't violate the Hebrews 10.25 call to assemble as the body of Christ. In fact, I think it's the responsible thing to do. And you know, we, we don't want to be insurrectionists. We want to be good citizens and good neighbors. And for one thing, Bill, this is going to force uh, churches everywhere to finally, because I know many have lagged behind, churches everywhere are going to finally have to get into the digital age, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. They're going to have to figure it out quickly. And the good news is it's not hard. I mean, uh, at bare minimum, you can put a mobile device or a tablet up on a stand, and boom, you're on social media streaming. Mm-hmm. So how, and I think your point is so well taken, Alex, and it is important that we follow the CDC rules because we don't want to be creating problems for the older population and anyone who might be compromised with the immune system or something that would uh, make getting sick even that much more difficult. So uh, when you're engaging in conversation with elderly people, um, what do you find to be their attitude towards this? Have you had uh, conversations with with people like that? I have, and I know, and we need to pray for each other because I know there are a lot of people, my my mother-in-law included, my beloved mother-in-law who just a few months ago went into a memory care unit and we can't go and see her. And, you know, we're praying, hope, hopeful that she's not wondering where we are, you know? Yeah, right. Um, I have talked to some older people who, there are still people around who remember the Great Depression. And, you know, they, they will be quick to tell you this is the time to, you know, be strong, say your prayers, live right. God, God's gotten this nation through a lot of things, and God will get us through this. But I want to say this, and folks, listen very carefully. Um, thank the Lord for Christian radio. I mean, because there are some folks that are going to be homebound, and maybe they can't log on to the Internet and watch, you know, the streaming. Mm-hmm. But thank God for Faith Radio, and thank God that, um, you know, when when we are somewhere we can't go to be in a, a group or whatever, hey, there's the radio. And I know you guys are probably broadcasting great content uh, 24-7, aren't you? Yes, we are. And I know it's a constant companion for many and for some of the elderly people who might be a little bit isolated right now who may not have the technology like the iPad or something. At least uh, they have their radio and and they love it. I know that for a fact. Exactly, exactly. And so um, thank the Lord that we've got Faith Radio. You know, pray for all these broadcasters, and there are a lot of people behind the scenes making this work. And, you know, thank the Lord for um, David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley that are on Sunday morning. And um, I'm going to be doing a a webcast uh, Tuesday night, 
7 p.m. Eastern time cool. on my Facebook page, Rev Alex McFarland, R-E-V, and I'll, I'll be taking questions too. Uh, so I'll be doing a live stream, and probably Bill will start doing about one a week, maybe even more than that. But, hey, I thank God that he is on his throne, and like Isaiah 42 says, um, when the waters pass over, they will not hurt us because the Lord, our God, our Savior, is with us. Okay, Alex, I need that uh, web address again, and I know the listeners want it, want to hear it again, so tell me okay. what it is. Yeah, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, okay. on my Facebook page, which is R-E-V, R-E-V. Alex McFarland. Alex yeah. McFarland. Rev Alex McFarland. Now I had a Facebook. I have a Facebook page that's just Alex McFarland. But you can only have five thousand friends. So we we hit that number. So anyway, this is like the public figure page, and I feel funny even saying that. But at any rate, Rev Alex McFarland, Tuesday night, seven p.m., and it'll be a webcast. I've got some content I want to share, and then we'll take live calls too. And so. Uh, and we'll just lift up Jesus. We'll have, have some online church Tuesday night. That's fantastic. You know, there's so um, so many people that are, are looking now for this connection, this fellowship, especially if they spend all days working at home. They, they want to feel like they're in a crowd. They're with a group. They're with people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's we, fanta- we need socialization. Yeah, we're such social creatures. And then you take that out of the equation, and it can make a lot of people kind of nuts pretty fast. Let me encourage people, um, brush up on sharing the gospel, um, even at the grocery store. Last night, I uh, went to the grocery store, saw a gentleman, and he was getting a few things. And uh, literally, literally, this guy got the last roll of toilet paper, and I was happy. And he was so excited, and, he, and we began to talk from six feet apart. And I said, praise God. And he goes, yeah, and I began to share the gospel. And let me say, people are open right now. Well, this is for, imagine facing this, um, you know, panic without Christ. And so let me encourage folks um, in your, your voice and your email, just remember, share John 3.16 or, you know, Acts 16.31, who, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People are open. And, Bill, I honestly think for the church— and uh, for individual Christians, this may, in fact, I believe it. I believe this does represent the greatest evangelistic opportunity of our lifetimes, Bill. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Alex. I think this is going to be spectacular. Well, I will be watching you Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern at Rev. Alex McFarland Facebook. That is, uh, I'm looking forward to that. We appreciate you so much. Hey, everybody, keep your radio tuned to yeah. Faith Radio. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alex. Have a great weekend. Right, yep. See you guys soon. Yep. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about him. Coming up next, I've got a wonderful interview with Dr. Michael Brown, and he talked about his new book on the book of Job and some of the suffering Job went through and his response. Eh, you're going to like this. Be back in a minute.
All right, I always have to wait for the trumpet before I start. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Michael Brown is my guest. He's president of Fire School of Ministry and has served as adjunct professor at seven leading seminaries. He holds a Ph.D. from New York University and hosts The Line of Fire. He's written 35 books, roughly. And he's got a new book out called Job, the, Ch- uh, the Faith to Challenge God. Michael, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Bill. Yeah, and I love this opening line, Job interprets us more than we interpret Job. Yeah, having spent years and years studying Job, teaching on Job, and then in most recent years writing a commentary on Job, it's remarkable. Uh, when you look at biblical commentaries, they're pretty much telling you what the book says and the message of the book and the interpretive issues with the book. But Job is so unique, and there's so many different ways to approach it, that when you read a Job commentary, it, it, you find out more about the person interpreting it. It, it opens up <laughs> questions in their life, in their mind, and then how are you going to approach it? How are you going to relate to Job? So, you know, at the beginning of the book, God says about Job, there is no one like him on the earth. And I feel it's the same thing about the book of Job. There's no book like Job on the earth. Has this, uh, the book of Job fascinated you for quite a while? Yeah. From my earliest days as a believer, and and right now, 48 years later. So when I came to faith, I came out of a kind of a wishy-washy Jewish upbringing. We weren't religious Jews. So even though I was bar mitzvah at 13, I never really read the Bible. And then once I got saved at the age of 16, coming out of a heavy drug background, so now I'm reading through the Bible, and and I finally get to the book of Job. And, of course, the beginning, first two chapters, that's that's wild. I mean, this, this... argument or this dispute between God and and, and Satan, the adversary, and because of that, there's a challenge, you know, take everything he has, he's going to curse you to your face, no one really serves you without ulterior motives, and God says, not Job, and so Satan attacks, everything's taken, and his health is taken, and he still worships God, so that's, that's dramatic, that's amazing, and then the dialogue begins, and first, Job curses the day of his birth in the third chapter, and I remember reading it, thinking, yeah, I understand that. And then Eliphaz, the first of the three friends to speak, he he corrects Job, and he rebuts Job in certain ways. And that's chapters 4 and 5. And I read that and thought, yeah, amen, I, I agree with that. <laughs> and then Job rebuts Eliphaz in 6 and 7. I thought, well, I agree with that. <laughs> and it was chapter after chapter, the argument going back and forth, I agreed with everybody, which was impossible. You know, it reminds me of the story of, this rabbi was counseling a married couple, and his assistant was there, and, and the husband proceeds to explain why all the problems in the marriage are, are, are the wife's fault. And, and, and the rabbi says, you know, you're 100% right. And the wife is flabbergasted. She said, Rabbi, that's not true. The problems are 100% his fault. She gives her case, and he says, you know, you're 100% right. And then the assistant says, Rabbi, they both can't be 100% right. And he goes, you're, you're 100% right. <laughs> so that's how I felt reading it, and then Elihu comes in, yeah, out of the blue, unannounced, and he's not mentioned at the end of the book. He just pops on the scene. And, and what's interesting is that when I was teaching uh, on uh, classes that related to Job from all like the mid-80s into the early 90s, every year I would give the students an assignment to write a paper on Elihu and to determine whether he was a really good guy, you know, representing the voice of God, was he just full of himself, and Every year, without fail, for years, the papers would be completely evenly divided between those who thought he was great and those who thought he was foolish. And that's the same with commentaries. You've even had Job commentators where 
over the course of their lives, they flip-flop on Elihu. And then after Elihu's done, you don't know what to make of that, then God comes on the scene. But instead of addressing Job's questions, or even talking about justice or the problem of suffering, he talks about wild goats. Have you ever seen them, you know, give birth? And where were you when I created the universe? And you know about the ostrich and the horse? And, and, then, and then talks about these creatures, behemoth and leviathan. What is that about? Mm-hmm. And then Job is completely humbled and, and recants. You know, basically, as I've translated, I recant everything. And then God turns around and commends Job, whom he just rebuked, and, and says to the three friends, I'm angry with you because you didn't speak about me what was right as Job did. You think, Job spoke what was, he just got rebuked. Then he spoke what was right. How is that? And then God restores everything double, and he lives happily ever after, uh, Job does. So it's just, wow. There's so much in the book. So it's fascinated me. And it was about 10 years ago, I was teaching an intensive seminary class. So it was uh, five nights, 6 to 10.30 at night, and then all day Saturday and, I, and the book of Job. And I got so gripped with it. I thought, I've just finally got to write a commentary. So years later, we're finally able to produce that. Yeah, it's a beautiful piece of work, uh, Michael. And when I think of Job and I think of the Bible calling him uh, blameless and upright, you would think if that's how you were described in life, you'd be getting a pass on suffering. Yeah. So that's the way things seem to be. Initially, the, the orthodox type of idea that the righteous are blessed and the wicked are cursed, which is reaffirmed over and over in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that basically that that's the way it was for Job. He was the, the most godly man on the planet, and he was the, the wealthiest, most prosperous man on the planet. And then calamity hits. Where where's that fit? How does that work? Right. I, 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 it's kind of like you serve the Lord your whole life, and then you die and you find yourself in hell. It's like, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And, of course, neither Job nor the friends know what's happening behind the scenes. So the friends basically have to draw a conclusion. And based on their limited theology, which had certain rigid walls to it, their only conclusion was, well, Job is obviously suffering for his sin because this doesn't happen unless you've sinned. So we thought he was righteous. So he must be a righteous man, but there's some sin in his life, and God is chastising him. That's the only thing that made sense to them. When Job rebuts them and begins to accuse God, now they realize, wait a second. Job, you're a wicked man. That's why your kids died. You're wicked. You need to repent. So the, the friends have no other category. Therefore, they have to judge Job. And we do the same thing. Rather than let our rigid theology get challenged at all, we have to have a reason that that person got sick or a reason that they got in the car right. or a reason that loved one died. You, Abby, you're not, you're, you're do, something wrong with your doctrine or it's because you left our church or you must be in secret sin. So that's what the friends did, which was a terrible mistake. Job, on his part, knew he wasn't wicked and, and he knew that he wasn't suffering for his sin. He sinned during his suffering, but he wasn't suffering because of his sin. So the only thing he could determine was that God was not acting justly, that there was something wrong with God. So the friends wrongly judged Job, and Job, on his part, wrongly judged God, and there was actually something else going on. Mm. All right, Michael. So Satan gets kicked out of heaven, and this is kind of the creep, one of the creepy parts of the story for me, is somehow Satan now has 
access to God to have this bar- this bargaining kind of uh, encounter? Yeah, well, it seems that the access he has is because of God's will. In other words, God is still God. God, God is still the God of the entire universe. And, and just like he can call Nebuchadnezzar his servant, a, a wicked, idol-worshiping king, he can call him my servant Nebuchadnezzar, or speak of Assyria as the rod of his anger. So a pagan, violent nation, he can call the rod of his anger. The same way he can gather all the heavenly hosts before him. And as you read between the lines, and I try to draw out my commentary even in the translation, when God says to Satan, when Hebrew literally the adversary, the accuser, where have you been? His answer is somewhat snide, going through, back and forth through the earth, basically as if to say, everything looks good here to me. That's a wicked group of people there. Uh, You don't have people that really love you and really serve you there. I, I like what I see, which is why God then says, have you considered my servant Job? Mm. There's no one like him on earth. And, and what God is saying is there are people like Job who worship me, who are upright because it is the right thing to do, not for the benefits. And that's now a, a cosmic challenge that's going to be played out. Job is the player in, in a much bigger picture. So the attack that he comes under is, is not so much because of himself, although he grows and, and what was meant to destroy him makes him a better person. But this is meant now for all of us that something is going to play out, which is going to become a message that is sounded through the heavens and a message that billions of people can benefit by through the centuries. Because, mm-hmm. uh, Michael, certainly human suffering is something that is uh, an issue everybody thinks about and deals with. And I've oftentimes heard people say, you know, so-and-so is having a almost a Job experience. And I, I always kind of pause when I hear that because I don't think anyone's had Job's experience. No, I mean, people have suffered terribly, but, but look at what happens in a short period of time. First, all of his possessions, he loses. Basically, in, in, in a single day, mm-hmm. gone, one after another, gone, 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 everything lost. Then, all ten children. Right. It takes a lifetime to, to have ten children. Yes. All ten children killed the same day. And mm. what does he do? He worships God. He, he doesn't flinch. He worships God. Already the adversary's accusations have been proven wrong. But now shortly thereafter, we don't know how long. There's a Jewish tradition that, that, that puts it in, in uh, specific dates, but we really don't know how long. But it seems to be not long after that. Now Satan challenges again and now smites him from head to toe. With a, 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 whatever it was, it must have been the worst possible disease to put on someone without killing them. Mm-hmm. So he's lost his, his prestige. He's, he's out on the ash heap with a broken piece of pottery scratching himself. He's lost his children. He's lost his possessions. And there must be this massive faith agony of what happened? Well, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. And, and who was God? I thought God was a certain way, and I cer- had a certain relationship with him. And, and, and I thought that brought blessing and honor, and everything's lost. So he's got that agony. Even his own wife says, you know, how long are you going to hold on to your integrity? It's extraordinary that God says to Satan in Job 2 that, that look at him. He's still holding on to his integrity, even though you're moving to destroy him. 
without moving me to destroy him without a cause. God commends him for holding on to his integrity. His wife says, how long are you going to hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Maybe she just couldn't take seeing him suffering anymore. He's got that agony. And then the friends come. They mean well. But as one pastor once said to me, they were doing great until they opened their mouths. So he's got to deal with all that. And, and yes, people have Job-like experiences. Yeah, you know, you just think of someone loses half their family in a tragic accident mm-hmm. or, or, you know, a plague sweeps through and next thing your children are gone. People have horrific experiences, which is why the book of Job is so important, because it's raw. I really tried to capture that in the commentary, not sanitize things. And, oh, well, praise the Lord. Sometimes we go through hard times. Oh, Job was in agony, and Job had it out with God. And, and it's a way of saying, hey, if you're so raw and you're so hurting, open your heart. You, you know, God puts books like Job and chapters like Laments in the Psalm. He puts those in the Bible to say it's okay to be in pain and it's okay to have questions. And at times like that, God might appear to you to be a monster. It may feel like that. That's not the case, but that's how it may feel to you. That's okay. There is going to be a positive outcome in the end. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown is my guest. His book is Job, the Faith to Challenge God. And we'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more with Michael. talking about the book of Job. Michael, Dr. Michael Brown has written a book called Job, The Faith to Challenge God. And Michael, I was thinking, you know, the, 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 the package of losing your belongings, your children, and then having your health destroyed. Have you ever thought as to why Job's wife never was taken as well? Well, some claim that that was part of judgment on Job, you know, that he, he suffered with him with a terrible wife. But the, the bottom line is, she's part of the, the good news as well. And that in the end of the book, when he has 10 more children, it's, it's presumably with the same wife, it okay. doesn't say anything different. But it, it could just be that in terms of the dynamic and, and Satan trying to get Job to curse God, that he knew at that moment that her emotions would be such that, that she would urge him to do the wrong thing. So in that sense, she ends up, at least at that moment, uh, being a voice for Satan, because she says to him, just curse God and die. Yeah. And that's what Satan wants. So just knowing the dynamic, the emotion, at that time, uh, she was more of a, a hindrance than a help, and, and so played in in that situation. It's a good question to yeah. ask. Say, uh, Michael, I know in your book you addressed some of the, the comforters, some of Job's friends. They were, you know, the so-called comforters. Uh, but didn't they make some false assumptions about his suffering? Yeah, see, here's the thing. Taken in themselves, if you just pull the chapters out from, from Eliphaz and from Bildad and from Zophar, and we could say the same for Elihu as well, but if you just pull those out and stand them on their own, they'd be fine. In other words, the wicked suffer terribly. The righteous are blessed. God chastises the righteous. In fact, throughout the book of Job, which has an ancient account, but we understand is written down much later, it's making subtle references to other verses within the Bible. Uh, For example, verses about divine chastisement of the righteous. It's taking themes, say, from, from Proverbs and putting them in there. So in themselves, 
the things were true, but they were wrongly applied to Job. So, for example, when Eliphaz beautifully talks about divine chastisement and in the fifth chapter, it's one of the most beautiful statements about how, how God purifies the righteous and disciplines the righteous and how we now grow and out of that have an even greater, more blessed relationship with God. It's a beautiful passage, but it didn't apply to Job because he was not being chastised by God. In the same way, when, these, when they see, okay, all your kids die, that, that just doesn't happen. That's not a coincidence. That's not chance. That was, that was an act of, of somebody. Well, who? Obviously an act of God. So, Job, there's something going on here. You know, you must ascend, and that's why these terrible things happen. I remember when I was a fairly new believer, there was a family that went to our church, and then they left our church to go somewhere else. And, you know, in these little days, you think your church, that's the, the place. You know, that's all I knew. And they left our church, and they were going somewhere else. And there was a hurricane that, that swept through Long Island, and uh, a tree fell and went through the roof of their house. And I remember the pastor's wife saying to me, God protects his own. <laughs> because if they had stayed in our church, they wouldn't have had that, that tree fall on them. <laughs> but, but I actually have it in, at, at the end of the commentary, Bill. I have some reflective essays where I talk about these issues. I talk about Job, what he would say to the new atheists. I compare Job to Jesus, what compares, what doesn't compare. I ask, you know, what Job would say to a sufferer and, and, and things like that. And, and there's one uh, essay in the back on the dangers of holding to a too rigid orthodoxy. And what I mean is when you're like the friends that everything has to fit into a neat category and you'd rather judge the person then question your beliefs. And see, here's, here's where we, we can really easily fall into this trap. Well, if something that bad could happen to a godly person, then maybe it could happen to me or to my family. Since I can't possibly countenance that, and it doesn't work with my theology, I'm going to have to say that Job must have sinned. And it's often because of our own security in God that we have to come up with reasons and excuses for other people's suffering. Mm. So I know when Job is in his full of his misery, he seems to kind of cry out in ways that we all feel at times. You know, he said, I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. So what is the lesson there, Michael? Well, that's good news that that's in the Bible. Okay. Otherwise, we'd think I'm the only one this ever happened to. God must be mad at me, or maybe he's not even there. Uh, in Luke 18, verse 1 Jesus teaches his disciples, gives them a parable to teach them to always pray and not lose heart. Well, that's significant because he's telling you, you're going to feel like losing heart. Uh, the verses in the Psalms, how long, O Lord? I, I wet my pillow with tears. Why is that important? It's important because that's often how we feel, forsaken, abandoned, rejected, uncared for. And what Job does is, is he takes refuge, he runs from God to God. He accuses God of being a monster. So that's where he goes too far. But he's speaking out of his emotions. God saying, hey, I understand. I'm putting that in the Bible for your sake. So on the, on the one hand, out of raw emotion, he's accusing God, you're a monster. And, and, and you, you blind the judges on the earth. If it's, not, if it's not you, then who? 
And when the wicked are prospering and the, and the righteous are suffering, you look the other way. So on the one hand, he accuses God, but where else can he go but to God? And, and this is where he's making his right appeal. Like, God, there must, there must be justice in your universe. You are not the kind of God that can do this. So he's basically saying, God, I expected better from you. And even though he wrongly accuses God of doing evil, he rightly expects better from God because ultimately, even though it was God who, in a sense, orchestrated this whole scenario, God wouldn't touch him. This is the work of the evil one. Mm. God does not just go around indiscriminately destroying the lives of his people or killing their children. So there's even that lesson to see as well. But that, to me, is, is one of the one of the verses I thought about the most and one of the verses I most enjoyed commenting on was Job 42.7, where God commends Job. He calls him my servant three times in verses 7 and 8. My servant Job, three times. And he commends him for speaking what was right concerning him. And that was to know that, that God, the God that he knew had to be better than the God he was experiencing. And it was true. Michael, I don't know if you know what you're doing here, but you're exciting people to buy your book to learn more about Job. <laughs> well, that's, hey, listen, I'm thrilled to do an interview <laughs> with you just to, to share with your listeners what I've learned. Yeah. You better believe I encourage people to read the book. I mean, I worked on it for years, and then when I was done with it, I had a problem. And the editors said to me, both PhDs from Harvard, there's a problem. You wrote this book for two audiences at the same time, for the scholar and for the general reader. It can't be both. You have to pick your audience. So I went back. I took all the scholarship, but I packed it in in a way that anyone can enjoy it, anyone can benefit from it, did a brand-new translation. And then in the back, if you really want to dig into the key verses and really dig further into Hebrew, we have some special essays as well. So uh, we're, we're really hearing great reports from readers, and it's just such a majestic book, often so misunderstood that that I felt if I can help people encounter Job and encounter wow. the God of Job, then all the years of effort would be worth yeah. it. Yeah, I, I know that suffering, for just it can twist people's and warp their perspective, and it's so difficult, and it's hard to say that there it very well could be tremendous blessings following suffering, because Job certainly did have that. Um, and is, is that a pattern, Michael, that, that there is going to be blessings following suffering? Yeah, look, Job becomes a better man through the agony. Job ends up with a better relationship with God. Job ends up with double the possessions he had and with 10 more children, which is also God saying, obviously you can't replace children. Mm -hmm. So here are 10 instead of 20. And maybe the hint that the other 10 are, are waiting for him in the world to come. But it is telling us that in the end, either in this world or the world to come, God will be, bring blessing. And Job is basically saying, look, I've been to hell and back, and I'm telling you, God is trustworthy. He, he, he's talking to people now that see no hope, and, and the, the, the diagnosis came in, and the, the leukemia in, in your child is incurable, mm. and, and, and your, your husband just left you, and the divorce is final, and you're about to go bankrupt. And at this moment, it is darkness and only darkness, and you see nothing beyond it. Job's saying, I, I lived in that darkness. I know what it felt. In fact, my words are recorded during this darkness, but I'm telling you, our Redeemer lives, and I'm telling you, 
that in the end, God will demonstrate his goodness in your life. So there's so much to be encouraged by. But just knowing, look, if, if you pick, picture a woman that's never seen another woman give birth, and no one ever told her about it, and now she's nine months pregnant, now what's happening, and now suddenly she's experiencing the worst pain she's ever known, and it's not going away, and it's getting worse. Little does she know she's about to produce brand new life. A human being is going to come forward. And now she can tell other young mothers, yeah, the pain is terrible, but here's what comes out of it. God will be glorified and our lives will be blessed. And Job is telling you, you're not alone in your pain. Now, Michael, you've just excited all of us to go study Job. Michael Brown's book is Job, The Faith to Challenge God. You're going to want to get your hands on this one. Michael, thanks for doing the show. Oh, always my joy. Thanks. Thanks so much. That wraps up our week, and what an incredible week the world is having. Uh, Stay safe and separated from each other, but always stay together. You know what I mean, I think. Keep washing and sanitizing your hands. And by the way, that will kill 99% of all germs. The gospel, on the the other hand, will sanitize your soul from 100% of all sin. One keeps you from a potential virus. One keeps you from a Christless eternity. Be safe, everyone. God bless. I love you lots. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.